Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? Well, I had fun tonight. Uh, hey. We I was involved in a kind of a kids-adults game that oh, yeah. uh, my wife organized for a bunch of people, and it was fantastic. It was uh, so much fun. And best of all, Bruce... I missed the I missed the orders. I only have one moment of suffering when I called up the scoring chance data and looked at it, mm-hmm. and then went went through the video of the scoring chances. So I didn't suffer that much, like most Oilers fans suffered in that game. Uh, for me, it was uh, it was like just one horrible, hideous moment. Especially when I saw that they had let in a goal. What was it? Eleven seconds into the game. So as soon as I. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it because Tippett before the game it said my biggest worry is you know they're going to be it's going to be a sloppy game and you know teams have been off three days and that this is clearly on his mind and what happens so you, this is our two good things two bad things two numbers podcast so we're going to start with our bad thing I'm going to throw my bad thing right off because it's the first thing that went bad what happens is Ryan Nugent Hopkins is just. Like, I know he is now being set, literally set on fire on Twitter right now. Like, there's little pictures of Nugent Hopkins that are just smoldering and in flames all over the internet because of that play. But, and and it was, but what can you say about it? It was just a terrible mistake early in a game. He goes in the corner, he whiffs on the puck, he loses the puck, the puck gets put to the slot and they score. You know, that's a five bell chance. And um, you're going to drain that shot what, half the time, maybe, that kind of pass out to the slot, 40% of the time. Nuge has got to do better than that. I mean, this is his, what is it, his ninth, tenth season in the NHL. He's he's thinking, okay, my first shift, I just got to, you know, I'm just going to play it, you know. He just could have put that puck over it. I think it was Clefbaum in the other corner. He was wide open, just had to put the puck over, and he whiffed on it, and then he got bumped off it, and... The Flames have a little, you know, a fast player. Like, they have their version of Kyrie Yamamoto is on the team, right? Or Tyler Benson. He's actually made their team, Mangiapani, and he's helping them out. We don't have that player right now, which is another frustration. Yep. That's a different kind of bad thing. But, um, so my bad thing was was New just playing on that first goal against. Because, Bruce, that's just, that's just brutal to get behind 11 seconds into the game. So, what's your bad thing? Yeah, well, that's part of it. I mean, get behind, stay behind. I mean, they trailed for 59 minutes and 49 seconds tonight. And really, their their um, uh, inability to mount any sort of a, a comeback, they kind of got the one goal out of the blue on their only scoring chance of the first period, by my count, uh, on a, you know, a good deflection, but it sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, but they came out for the start of each period, uh, with, I don't know, it seemed like they were in a coma, David, 11 seconds, 68 seconds, 57 seconds. Each period, the very first shot wound up in the net. And uh, one of those was on the goalie, probably. Uh, but one of them was on, you know, the, the Nugent Hopkins play <laughs> that you detailed uh, that was uh, exacerbated by uh, uh, what I saw as a poor play by Adam Larson. And then the... Uh, the shorthanded goal to start. I mean, you start the third period with almost a full two minutes on the power play, and what do you do? Give up a shorty, and then 
you it's know. like they had turkey leftovers, a turkey coma at the start of yeah. every period. Yeah. Like, what, what yeah. is going on? Well, their power play, they had two power plays tonight, and they had three shots, and Calgary had three shots. But by scoring chances, it was one chance for Edmonton and three for Calgary on Edmonton's power play. And they just didn't have it going on. They had uh, um, Dave Tippett called him out in the post game. Said he was worried from the morning skate. He said they came out in a cavalier fashion and they basically never got their crap together at any point during the morning skate. He was worried it would carry over to the game. And 11 seconds into the first period, his fears were realized. And it just basically got worse from there. Just a, a real, real, and I mean, all three periods. And, and such a such a stinker for the home fans yet Again, I don't understand why this team can't play a decent game of hockey in their own barn. Do they? Do these guys like does does Nuge and McDavid and Drysaddle? Not McDavid because he's been fine, but you know, do these guys want to make the playoffs? Adam Lars and Oscar Kleffbaum, like, because if they want to make the playoffs, they they got to s- stop making those horrible s- mistakes, leading to five bell chances in the slot. Like, you just got to cut that out. Uh, instead of like having won a game at least where you're right in the middle of it, you're right at fault because of, of, uh, often no new, that's kind of a, it's a tough one. Cause it's like, he misses the puck, right? Like he, he stick goes over the puck when he's trying to chip it, but you did, that can't happen. And that's, that's what you're left wondering in the end is, is you questioning, like, do they want, and of course they want it, but, but how, how much, are they have they had that moment where they're going to say nothing's going to stop me from getting there and I'm going to do everything possible, especially in the defensive zone where we have such trouble right now to make sure that never happens when I'm on the ice. It's just going to be a fanatical devotion to stopping those kind of scoring chances where I'm in the middle of it, where I should be stopping that and I don't. Because Ryan Nugent Hopkins is perfectly capable of stopping that kind oh, of yeah. scoring chances, as is Leon Dreisaitl, as is Connor McDavid, as is mm-hmm. Larson, Darnell Nurse, Ethan Bear, Oscar Kleppbaum. Their best players, Bruce, were not there. They were their, they were their, I, other than McDavid, they were their worst players. I don't give McDavid the carte blanche you do. I mean, tonight, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but overall, he's been, uh, he's been lax defensively on more than a few goals this year. And he's, uh, you Fair know, enough. the, yeah. the, the defensive, performance of their top players has uh, been in the crapper for a while and it's cost them goals and it's cost them games. I have a theory about how to change that, Bruce. We're going to talk about it right okay. at the end of the podcast because sure. it's based on the I'm Scotty ready for Bowman. any theory at this point. All right. I've been working on a theory and it's okay. based on the Scotty Bowman book that you uh, got from your wife for, I got it for Christmas. So actually for my anniversary. On your anniversary. Okay. Uh, so we did the bad things. So my good thing, I don't really have a lot of good things, but I did like the way, and I know that, so I know Ryan Nugent Hopkins is getting torched, but I, I also know him to be, like, you can just see he's a thoughtful and conscientious person. He's just probably, he's just probably really upset. He did, to give him credit, on that, on that, and you don't, maybe you're not going to agree here, but on that penalty, uh, the, the fifth goal from the Flames Backlands goal, I believe it was, where he streaks up the ice, is that who it was? Yeah. Uh, to score. Nuge really did get on his horse and try to, he, he was skating as hard as he could to chase that guy down. So I'm going to give him credit for that. He, he gave it his all. Now they're supposed to give it their, their all, but they, you know, sometimes they coast and I didn't see any coasting there. And I like, I saw back, it as back. a late, late read. I mean, once he did get on his horse, he stayed on it. All, it was a tough, 
But that was a, a microsecond late. I don't know if it was late even. It was just like a, they both they both start. I think if you look at the tape, they both start going at the same time. In terms of, but the guy just had a step on him from the start. Backlund had a step on Nuge from the start, and he could never catch him. But they were both, they were just both going and trying to make that play. So I, I like that kind of house hustle from from players, and it's uh, we've seen that a lot from Nugent Hopkins. So let's see more of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I heard Nuge in the post game, and he did take ownership of the first goal against, but uh, uh, he did not frankly sound that upset to me, and I was kind of hoping for a little more anger in the Oilers dressing room and a little more, I mean, somewhere in there, someone's got to grab the bull by the horns and, and rally this team. I mean, I remember three years ago, they started off the season 2-0, and they lost their third game, and new captain Connor McDavid, still a teenager, canceled the team's mandatory day off to have a practice to turn things around right away. And I'm wondering, where is that now? Who on this team is saying, this is not acceptable, we have to we have to rally together and do better? And I'm just not seeing a team that's, you know, got all their oars in the water, you know. Anyway. Maybe it'll be Riley Sheehan. This is my good thing. This is my <laughs> this is time for my good thing, right? That wasn't it. Okay, what is uh, it? <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, um, Patrick Russell, uh, fourth line player who's hanging on for dear life for an NHL job, but playing every game like he likes being in the NHL and actually wants to stay in the league. And tonight he uh, played 13 and a half minutes uh, on the bottom six, and he led the team in shots with five. He led the team in hits with four. And he uh, made a hard charge to the net that created two good scoring chances. And he was sort of positively involved in the the game. And you can say that about precious few Edmonton Oilers in this game. Yeah. The Oilers were out-chanced on grade A chances, uh, 6 to 11. The Flames also scored on two grade B chances, which, which were actually pretty good grade B chances. Like they were borderline A. They were both fairly tough shots. Mm-hmm. You could say that Russell screened Koskinen on the on the one of them, maybe, yeah. and you could maybe and the, ticked off. And the other one was kind of a the guy was moving fast across the the uh, center of the ice, the railroad himself, and got off a very quick and dangerous shot. So uh, this this one wasn't on Koskinen. Uh, he didn't play great. He didn't save his team in it, but he wasn't the worst player on the Oilers. There's lots of competition for that tonight. Yep. Um, so let's move on to numbers. My number, Bruce is uh, there's been so much made of this stat in the last little while. Anywhere you go on the, the Oilers Twitter, people are talking about it. And it but it's just because it it's clobbers you over the head. Yeah. It absolutely clobbers you over the head. And, of course, we're referring to Leon Dreisaitl's plus minus. He's now 16 games in a row where he has not had a positive goal differential. It's Leon Dreisaitl. And in 15 of the, the 16 games, he's had a negative one. In the last seven games, he's minus, yeah, he's minus 15 in the last seven games. And I think you were saying in the last four, he's minus 11. So it's just... Getting worse and worse, it seems impossible. Like, I was seeing him impossible before, but it's... it's. I've never seen it like David. I can't think of a situation to that's analogous he, to what's he, happened to this guy. He didn't... Wasn't a culprit tonight nope. on the goals against. Wasn't nope. They weren't his fault, but nope. he's not outscoring either like he's not coming close to outscoring so so th- this is going to be my i'm going to address this in my in my uh 
theory on how to change things up a little bit. But what is your number? Well, it's kind of related. My number is the uh, net combined minus 15 of the six top six forwards for the Oilers in this game, meaning that all six of them were out. Uh, Three of them were out on the ice for all five Calgary goals. And in fact, on the shorthanded goal, a fourth one was on the ice. And the only plus for Edmonton, McDavid got a plus, but he was playing with uh, a couple of scrubs on his line and they scored. And the guys that are supposed to be winning the game, for the, like the theory for this team, I thought, was for the bottom six to hold their own and for the top six and especially the top three to win games for them. Well, tonight the bottom six held their own, 0-0. The top six got pounded, 5-1. So I mean, no top, no bottom six is going to be able to going to be able to climb a hill like that. I mean, there's no chance. Yeah, like this has been the the, the story all too often. If it hasn't been goaltending, it's been their top players not holding up their end of it. And um, for this Oilers team, there's just no way they're going to win. Now, they're below real 500 for the first time this year. 20 wins, 21 losses, and uh, that's not a good sign. You just—they've got it. They've got to claw their way back now. Well, and the, I mean, here's another number that's—it's—it's it's one that I've mentioned before, but it keeps growing. The last ten home games, two wins, six regulation losses, and every one of them has been by three plus goals. So they've got—you know—they've been pounded on their home ice in six of the last ten, lost two in overtime, and scraped out two one-goal wins. And. It's okay. So let's move talk on about the, the long-suffering fans. But when you, you know, when the team particularly struggles on home ice, that's a bitter pill for people that are that yeah. are that are that are paying the freight. I was thinking that tonight's game was kind of. It's not their last game of the year, is it? They have one more. But I was thinking that would have been a fitting exclamation mark on the actual decade of darkness. <laughs> so. Man, the 2020s can't come quick, quickly enough for these Oilers, and let's hope it's a much better 10 years than what we just witnessed, because that was really hard. Okay, so here's my theory, Bruce. Okay. I'm going to write a blog post about this. So Scotty Bowman uh, is the, I think, recognized as the best coach in NHL history. And Ken Dryden has written a book on him where Bowman goes through um, the best teams of in NHL history, the top eight teams. The 1983-84 Oilers are one of them, and Scotty holds them in very high regard, although not so much Paul Coffey, I would say. Um, in any case, Scotty Bowman talks about a couple things. One thing about how to coach a team, and another thing about an NHL trend that I think apply to these Oilers. So first of all, he, he, the, the theme of his own coaching was coach the players you have. So whatever, whatever kind of team that you have, mold your strategy to that team. So, for example, um, when he had the five Russian stars with the Detroit Red Wings, he would play them all together at various times because he had those five guys and it made sense to use them that way and to let them play their their Soviet style of hockey. Mm -hmm. So that's just that would be one example of that. A lot of coaches wouldn't have done that. The other thing he he you're right. And a lot of coaches wouldn't have done what Glenn Sather did with the Oilers in the early Absolutely, 1980s. 100%. They would have they would have wrecked that team. They would have wrecked it. And Glenn Sather didn't. And that made me think about this current team, about coaching the players you have. Um, and we're, so we're going to get back to that. The second thing he talked about, Bowman said, 
since they started to, to call more penalties um, after 2005 06, um, you know, after the big Shanahan convention where they cracked down on obstruction for a while, he said there was a tactical oh, change. Season, in, yeah. He said there was a tactical change in the NHL game in that no, and they increased the size of the offense. When did they increase the size of the offensive zone? Right around that same time. I think the Shanahan Summit was uh, involved in that as well. Also the two-line pass. There was a, there was a few things that were designed to, to open okay, so, it up. So he said the what you saw is because it became so hard to handle the top offensive players mm-hmm. um, down low on the zone, the forwards started to collapse around the net. So all five players would be collapsed around the net. And then when the puck would go back to the point uh, for a shot, when the offensive team would put it back to the point, the forwards then were charged with rushing out to the point to block the shot. And this is clearly how the Oilers play hockey right now and have played for forever, as far as I can, can say, is that um, they're all five down low, and then the idea is that it goes back to the point point you're supposed to charge out there and block that shot. So Bowman was questioning, why would you have, if you have an offensive superstars in your team, why would you have them blocking shots? Do you really want them blocking shots? And he talked about, he theorized... If you had a player like Gretzky or Lemieux, they like to play high in the defensive mm-hmm. zone. You keep them high, and you why don't you? And he, and he thought, why don't you try that? Why don't you try something? Why don't some of these teams try something different with these offensive players? And this got me thinking about McDavid and Drysaitel, who seem unable to play down low right now. And I don't know what it is, but I'm just thinking. Why don't they coach the players that they have? Why don't they try something different with these two players? The one thing you know about Connor McDavid is there's no player, there's no one-on-one defenseman who can handle this player right now. Yeah. One-on-one, he will go around them. One-on-two, he will go around them. Leon Dreisaitl is close to that. So you have two of, you have the best offensive player and someone else who y- you should be dying. Your whole strategy should be getting Connor McDavid one-on-one with the defenseman. So I'm thinking, why do we have McDavid and Dreisaitl playing the center position down low ever right now? Put them out there with a defensive center, maybe Riley Sheehan. Um, put them out there with a defensive center, someone who can handle that slot play. And your two best puck-moving defensemen, probably Ethan Bear and Oscar Kleffbaum, who can throw that long bomb pass and who can also defend. Throw those players out there with McDavid and Drysaddle. Don't have those guys playing low. Have them playing high right on those defensemen. So when the, when the defensemen get the puck back, they don't have to block the shot. Like You can't pass to them because McDavid and Drysaddle will be covering them anyway. But as soon as the Oilers turn over the puck, and it's going to put a lot, it would put a lot of pressure on Bear, Clefbaum, and Shane down low. They'd be three on, you'd have a three on three game essentially down low. A lot of pressure. But when you win the puck, Bruce, Every time you win the puck and clear the puck, you have a race for the puck with Connor McDavid and a defenseman who's just tearing his hair out. He's so afraid. And you have Leon Dreisaitl smoking in there to score goals. So you you coach the players you have. You don't ask those guys to do something. Because we're all thinking, oh, like Dreisaitl should be the Selkie Award winner. He should be playing down low. He should be playing center. He should be. And I've been thinking this too. But it ain't working. This, and this isn't going to work this year, I don't think. So this year, try a different strategy. Put out a defensive center with those guys who can cover the slot. Put out two passing defensemen and have those guys flying up the ice at every opportunity and harassing those defensemen at the point to steal pucks from them and creating havoc that way. So that's my blog post that I'm going to write. 
Well, I'll give you a couple of names from the past, the guys who used to play like that, mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky being one of them, who uh, played high in the zone, and uh, his uh, and he wasn't a he wasn't a terrible defensive player, uh, as some purport, uh, but he was often a uh, uh, in absentia uh, from certain areas of the ice. But what he was exceptionally great at was stealing the puck off the other guys and stripping and, uh, it and coming in from their blind side, lifting their stick. He'd take the puck and he would be gone. Had been one swoop move, and the end of the move had him going the other way, already ten feet away from the guy who took the puck off and. And, and the gap widening. Uh, and uh, uh, I used to joke about how uh, all the defensemen on the opposing teams of the Oilers, uh, you know, they came in and they were all wearing different colored sweaters on their various teams, but they all seemed to have brown pants. And it was uh, just because of Gretzky's, the threat of Gretzky <laughs> and the, uh, oh, the penny drops. <laughs> uh, and the other guy I'm going to say that played that style was a winger, not a center, uh, Pavel Bure, and he would play. He would really cheat for offense. They used to joke that the uh, that the blades of his skates were red from hanging around on the center red line back in the days when the two line pass rule was still in effect. But man, oh man, uh, you know it could be four on four in the in the Florida or Vancouver zone, whatever team that he was on at the time. And that team wins one puck battle and dumps it out. And now you've got a one-on-one with the most electrifying player in the game going against some poor schlub who's in over his head. And it worked out pretty good in, in uh, his career. And again, he was a defensive player in absentia often, and it cost his team some goals, but it also gained them some. And it was a, you know, a different style that you do not see in the parody salary cap era. But as you say, what they're doing right now does not seem to be working. And there what do they have no to lose? Obvious breakthrough in sight, is there? No, I mean you could double down and say, okay, we're gonna you're gonna recommit yourself, Leon and Connor, to covering the defensive slot, and you're gonna, you know, one of like either one of you are gonna do it, or like you're gonna take turns, or however they're gonna like you know do what they've been doing for the last year, frankly, without mm-hmm. any success at all. They've been leaking goals against for a year now, at an extraordinary rate at even strength. So you could keep trying that. Mm-hmm. I just think. Maybe try something else. Maybe do something else. And I'm and and Bruce, I have an even more radical aspect okay. to this theory, but I'm All not right. going to tell. I'm not telling right. it. I'm gonna I'm gonna write it in the blog. I gotta give people okay. a reason to read the blog post. So I'm gonna save right. that for the blog post. But there's one more wrinkle in this uh, scheme that I have. But like, and I, what do I think the chances Dave Tippett's gonna do this? I think like zero. I just don't think NHL coaches do this kind of risk taking. But it's interesting to me that Bowman was suggesting it, actually. He was watching the modern NHL game. This is him now. This is the last chapter of the book where he's mm-hmm. walking, watching this NHL game now, and he's thinking, why why don't they develop a, a different strategy for your top line? Like, why does, every have to, why does every line have to play the same? Why do they all have to do the same thing? Why couldn't you have this these players that he talks about playing high? Why can't you have these players playing high? Why couldn't you do that? And it just like... Suddenly, I thought, like, why not? So, I don't think they're going to do it, but um, that's my that's my theory of the day. Well, uh, food for thought, at least. Uh, like I say, what what they're doing now is uh, clearly not uh, um, it's not working. And you know, this is third December in a row. Two years ago, they always had a nice winning streak before Christmas, but for, they came back after the Christmas break and they put up some turkeys of games, kind of like tonight's. And they lost seven of their first eight after the uh, 
after the Christmas break and fell out of the race under coach Todd McClellan. Uh, last year, straddling the Christmas break between the 18th and the 31st, they had a home five-game homestand during which they garnered zero standings points and fell out of the race with five straight regulation losses under then-head coach Ken Hitchcock. And now they have uh, struggled all month of December, and again, especially on their home ice under now head coach Dave Tippett. I mean, these are three extremely experienced uh, NHL head coaches uh, that have something like 1,872 wins among them in their resume and probably over 2,000 by the time you factor in playoffs. And yet the Edmonton Oilers seem to be the mountain they can't climb. And what is it? Why do they, they're, they're, you may be right. They need a new theory. Maybe they need a young uh, ideas-laden coach. Mind you, the last time we said that, we wound up with Dallas Aikens. And that didn't end up so well, I think now did it. It so, did not. Ralph Kruger. Ralph Kruger. Hide your hands. Hide your head in your hands. <sighs> Alrighty. So you're still writing the game grades? You yeah, I'm just, grades just, just about done. All, All right. Well, I'll let you get out that, Bruce, and um, we'll, we'll talk again uh, soon. Next I did game. get the I did get the Bowman book for Christmas, so I'm just about to dip into it, and I may have to jump ahead of that Oilers cha- chapter just because I'm not that disciplined of a reader, and uh, just see what he has to say about my boys. But uh, it's um, uh, it's going to be a good read. I huge 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 respect for uh, Scotty Bowman. He wasn't necessarily I, I, the greatest human being, but he was a wonderful hockey coach. You're going to be happy with what he says about the orders, and I think he gives him a real fair shake. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think he has a bit of a bee in his bonnet about Paul Coffey, that he doesn't quite give him. Um, tried to trade for Paul Coffey in 1981, though. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he's, not, he's not unfair to any player, but he's not as fair to Coffey as he is to okay. some of the others. Well, I'll see what he has to say about that, but I'm looking forward to reading the book, and I'm sure okay. there's lots of nuggets in there. And Paul Coffey, of course, is no fan of Scotty Bowman. So, all right. All right. right. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.